Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. If you are caring for a person with autism, great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. We hope today's conversation will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. I'm a vice president here at Autism Spectrum Therapies. We're an agency providing services to kids, well, early intervention, kids, adolescents, adulthood, uh, individuals on the spectrum, helping out people of all ages, helping out families. Uh, as you guys know, I'm an ABA guy, and, and I tend to think of therapy and think about the support in that point of view. Spent the last 13 years uh, in the field of applied behavior analysis, um, and I'm a board-certified behavior analyst, and really find that shaping more and more of what I do uh, as I go out into the field and, and speak to you know, colleagues, parents, uh, teachers, um, whomever. Um, thanks for putting up with me. And last week, I, uh, I, I hope <laughs> that uh, the, the sniffles and the sneezing didn't come across too bad on the air. Uh, but I am, I am so glad to feel so much better today. Um, a week of traveling just definitely took its toll. But uh, it was great to be in a couple of new communities and, and meet some new people. I had the opportunity to go out to Maryland and spend a few days in Baltimore um, at, uh, at a conference and a, and a few meetings and really got a sense of a, a whole new community, one that I really didn't know that much about beyond autism votes and uh, autism speaks, you know, looking at what kind of resources were in Maryland and, and what was happening with um, their insurance uh, mandate or in, in this help uh, or in this case um, the status of the mental health parity acts that they had on the books so it was it was really interesting to to be there and then I also got a chance to go to an incredible conference that for any professionals out there I really highly highly recommend but the Association of Professional Behavior Analysts uh, commonly called APBA and our acronym heavy ABA world um, they put on their annual conference in New Orleans last week, and um, it was it was awesome. I was just so so impressed by it. It was uh, just a great group of people, great group of presenters, uh, talking about some pretty sophisticated topics, and really looking at um, a conference from the lens of someone like me, someone in the field day in and day out, really applying the science. So not just giving us here's the research, but here's the research, here's how we've applied it, or here's the research and here's how we think we can apply it. And I really, really appreciated that. Um, the best part for me was, uh, on top of the presentations, was actually meeting a lot of, of old friends, seeing some old faces that I haven't seen in probably 10 years, uh, going all the way back to my days in Massachusetts, working at the New England Center, I just saw all of these people who I used to work with. And, you know, as, as we all do, kind of lose touch with over the years. So some people were actually still there working, representing the center. A bunch of other people had actually moved on to other things. Coincidentally, one of the guys I trained when I was at New England Center is now running his own agency in Baltimore, of all places, where I had just been. And it was... Um, it was just really cool. It was it was great to to see him and and, and see how far he had come in, in ten years. Um, definitely, kind of brought that smile and a little sense of pride of, you know, I was this guy's first kind of supervisor on a day to day level, and you know he was even talking about some of the things I said and things I did, and you know that. At the time, this didn't make sense, but now, 10 years later, it's like the best thing I could have been told. So definitely, you know, made me, made me pretty proud of just kind of where I started and what I got to do. Um, but one of the, the thoughts I had to start off today's show um, was around BCBA supervision. And it's, it's something we've been talking about more and more. And I feel like we've had 
a few shows this this new year talking a little bit about like what is good supervision and, and what should I be looking for and who should I be looking for and you know if, if I had been feeling better I probably would have made the connections last week with Sarah but um, you know as we think about uh, a, a source or a resource like love my provider um, the things you really want to know it, from my perspective is it's not just about you know who works at your provider or who the line staff are with your provider. I, I think it's really important to understand who are the BCBAs, um, what are their background, how often will I see them, you know, what are their roles in the program. It's really easy to say, well, BCBA supervises a program, but there's more detail to it. It, it should mean something. And as I was at this conference with people from all over the country. Um, there was parents from all over the country. There were uh, a lot of professionals, behavior analysts, my, myself all over the country. I, uh, I, I was taken aback by a conversation I had, and, and I was talking with some friends, and they were telling me about um, this, this provider in their area who was serving quite a number of kids, and they were actually flying BCBAs in through, from other states to come and supervise all of their their clients. They they didn't have BCBAs local, but they had BCBAs who worked for them elsewhere and they were flying them in. And you know, that was something that as we have these dogs and I was thinking about just you know, quality and how do you maintain that and how do you really support quality from program to program to program? Something we talk a lot about here at AST. I was really I was kind of taken aback by that. It's like, how do you do that? How, how do you maintain, you know, BCBAs flying in from all over the place and that steady um, supervision and guidance? And it was actually really good timing because as I was having this conversation, um, I happened to be joined by one of, my, one of my coworkers and in her time prior to coming to AST, she was telling me that that's actually how she was supervised, that she was working directly with clients and the BCBA would fly in once a month for like a long weekend. And you know, she was sharing with me the pros and cons of that and how that worked and how do you make set that up. And you know, it was it was definitely one of those things where I'm like, Oh God, this this sounds complicated and, and she said that it was actually very stressful for her. You know, there's it didn't feel like the lines of communication were always open. And I, I can see that. You know, I've consulted with lots of different families, and there's been times I've consulted and actually traveled in to consult with a family. And I know for me, it always felt like I wish I was here more. I wish I could see more. As as great as technology is, and it's it's come so far, I feel like you can do so much more via Skype or uh, via conference calls and videos. Still, that face-to-face -face means so much. Having that balance, at least, of face-to-face -face and, and, and through the web, at the very least, or being able to say, look, you know what, I'm going to be on a plane or in my car and, and hop over to you tomorrow if need be. There's an emergency, I'm there. It, it feels so hard to pre-schedule everything. And it, it, it just felt like a very difficult way to run a program. Um, but then I also reflected on the idea of, but in some areas, that's all you can get. That's all you can do. Um, I think back to uh, a woman I met about three years ago in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, she was working with uh, the local families, helping families branch and telling me about how she wants to get supervision and she wants to become a BCBA and be someone on the ground providing support and, re and, and services in Shreveport. And she said to me, you know, as I was giving her advice, you know, all this advice is great, but when there's only two, three BCBAs to choose from in my community, if that, my options are limited and I got I to gotta start somewhere and, and get myself off the ground some way. So it, it becomes that balance. And, and, you know, as I said, to me, this seems to be a great opportunity of just sharing experiences where families can help one another. And other families with, with this provider may say, no, everything's going great. I'm really happy. that The way this is set up was perfect. Um, my friend who was the interventionist who was supervised that way, 
you know, that's her perspective as the staff, but maybe the child's progress, the family's outcome was even better. And it, it that what I think is best practice doesn't matter. And I think that's what's great about be, us being able to share experiences to say, this is how to make this work. If this is all you have available, here's how you can make it successful. Um, so I think those are just some great things that we can get from resources like Love My Provider is, is these types of details of how to make something work or, or to be aware of, hey, this is how their BCBA supervision works um, if, you, you know, if you're looking at this agency. Um, so all this kind of transparency from up front I think it just goes such a long way, and uh, and it's just an important thing to consider as you're as you're evaluating who you're going to get services from as you start this journey. Um, okay, well that that's my my thought for the day. Um, like I said, it was just kind of an odd thing that I I just didn't have that uh, foresight to uh, to tie into what we were talking about yesterday because I think that's it's an important thing about some of these resources and. and um, in evaluating providers, um, but today I'm I'm really excited to be uh, joined again by Ariva Martin, the the founder and president of Special Needs Network. Um, Ariva is known to audiences around the country for her regular appearances on Dr. Phil, Nancy Grace, Anderson Cooper, uh, AC360, and a host of other national news and talk shows. She's a Harvard trained attorney, author, and nationally recognized autism spokesperson. Uh, her second book, The Everyday Advocate, is a must-read for parents and professionals. Um, she's the founder and president of the Special Needs Network and is often referred to as America's Everyday Advocate due to her passionate and relentless work on behalf of women and children. Ariva, welcome back to the show. Thanks. I'm so glad to join you this morning. Uh, I'm so glad to have you. You were, you know, I know we're going to get into it pretty quickly, but I was, so, I was really excited to talk to you about what's going on with the um, with the CDC's recent report, um, because there's a couple of, of lines or or, or uh, pieces of information that I thought you would just be a, a great person to hear from. Um, I was curious, you know, what was your your initial reaction to it? Shock. You know, I was just absolutely floored when I saw the report. I was in a meeting all morning and hadn't been able to check my phone, which is unusual for me. And when I got out of the meeting, I had all these text messages saying, have you seen the new CDC report? And I don't know, in my brain, I thought, great, there's a new report that probably gives us some good news. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that this report was going to you know, confirm that we've seen a 30% increase in autism rates, at least amongst that, you know, population that they studied. So I was just absolutely floored. And, and I remind people often about, you know, how not so long ago the incidence rate was 1 in 166, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And now, you know, we, we've seen these, these just staggering increases that, that are just, really, really difficult, particularly for people like me who are, you know, working with real people. So it's not just numbers. These are real-life mm-hmm. people who are impacted by these startling statistics. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I think that was the, the thing for me, too. It's, I don't know. I went to the provider point of view is how are we going to get enough resources to everyone? Like, there's not enough of me. There's not enough of people like me to, to help everyone one of these people? How do we do that? You know, my mantra has become run faster, do more. As difficult as that may seem, that is what these new numbers require all of us who are working on this issue to do. You know, I I kind of liken it to when we had the economic crash 2007 or 8 or so, and companies Mm -hmm. had to cut back, and, and they had to simply ask their employees to take on the jobs of other people, and it was a question of survivability. Can we sustain ourselves through this crisis? And the companies that were able to do so were those that went to their, you know, their, their core employees and said, we mm-hmm. all have to do more. Mm-hmm. And those smart companies, you know, as we started to rebound in the economy, are thriving. So I liken this to that. And those of us in the autism and the disability rights community, we simply have to run faster and do more. And, and we, can, we can do it. 
I, I have no mm-hmm. doubt. I mean, history has taught us that we can, uh, but, you know, I just don't think any of us were quite prepared. But, you know, we've been working hard at Special Needs Network and in the Los Angeles community, you know, putting our heads together, figuring out, okay, what does that mean? Uh, you know, we have important school board elections. We have some important assembly elections. And for me, one of the things it means is making sure that anyone that's going to represent kids at the local, state, or national level, that this is a priority for them. Yeah. Uh, that they understand these numbers and how important it is from a policy standpoint that more resources are allocated to, uh, you know, families and to kids. So, I mean, there's something all of us can do, uh, be it posting something on your Facebook page, sharing the CDC report with someone, talking to your mm-hmm. neighbors, talking to school principals. You know, it's just a call to action for all of us. Yeah, I, I mean that's such a great point. Like I, I, I live here in uh, I live in Culver City, um, and where where have our um, our city council elections coming up? Like within the next week, it's like literally right upon us. And like hearing what you're saying, like I feel like that's like the one question I want to ask every city council member now is, okay, great, where where do you stand with this? Like, how are you going to help our school board? How are you going to help our schools provide better resources? Because we know more kids are getting diagnosed and they're going to come into our system. And I wonder if Absolutely. everyone's really thinking that way. Absolutely. And, that, and that's what I'm saying. You know, you, you just, it's just an important and very significant point. Yes, local school elections, local council elections, uh, you know, statewide assembly elections, statewide Senate elections. I want everyone running for office in the state of California, and, and you and I are both in the county mm-hmm. of Los Angeles, but throughout this nation, to take that report, email it out, mail it out, and ask folk who want to represent families and want to represent kids, what do you think of this? Have you seen this? What mm-hmm. are you going to do from your position of authority to impact this? And that's what I think autism parents and disability rights you know, groups and organizations, I think we're best at you know, causing folk to understand, you know, our kids need their issues and getting them to respond. And now more than ever, we need parents, we need activists, we need advocates, we need champions in these positions, you know, who understand what these numbers really mean. And, and thank you, yes, Culver City City Council member, you know, perfect debate question, perfect mm-hmm. town hall meeting question, perfect yeah. You know, question for the local group, uh, you know, neighborhood block club meetings. You know, it's not no longer business as usual. Yeah. You know, I one of the things that I feel like I've learned from doing this show, and, and you talk about it, and I just feel like it's important to note is, you know, sometimes it feels kind of intimidating to, like, do all of this. Like, I'm just one person. Is my voice going to hear, be heard? But, I mean, you're someone who was just one person, and pushed an agenda and pushed an issue and found there was a lot of people who shared those same beliefs. And I know we've had a lot of other people on the show express that. Hey, we, we, may, not, we may seem big, but we're actually a small group of people with big voices and therefore are powerful. And I wonder you know, how many people out there as, I, as we do this feel that same way. And, or, and aren't really aware of whether you live in California and here in L.A. County or, you know, regardless, you know, somewhere in, like, Louisiana or someone in Illinois, right. you know, this is an issue that's facing the whole country, and, and everyone can do this. I think you're right. So many people do feel helpless, and they feel like their one voice or their one vote is insignificant. But, boy, I think, again, I go back to what history has yeah. taught us. You know, that one voice joins with one other voice and joins with another and another and another. Now you have a whole movement, and we've seen people get fired up about a situation. It can be a personal tragedy or a personal situation, yeah. and how they to you know take that and galvanize their entire communities. And parents are the best of that. Think of how much time parents spend on the playground, you know, complaining about a new teacher or complaining about a new drop-off policy or, you know, complaining about this year's field trip. And if that same energy, that, that, that same, you know, organizing, you know, impulse was used to say we want to do something about the resources on this school campus 
We want to bring in more training for our teachers. We want to bring in more technology for our kids. That can really be impactful. So I, I just tell parents, don't underestimate your own power and never, ever relegate yourself to, to being, you know, inconsequential. In your one vote can be a determining factor in a close election. Your one mm-hmm. voice can be the voice that causes, you know, a school or a school board, you know, to start to consider an issue that it otherwise would not have. And, and you just, you know, you cannot ever imagine how important it is for each one of us to do whatever it is that we can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some grandparents, you know, who are not likely to be, you know, folks on social media, but they are on social media. And wow. they've connected with other grandparents through Facebook. And they share information. And sometimes it's just as simple as that. I'm going to share some information about a conference. I'm going to share some information about a workshop uh, because, you know, you may be reaching someone who's in need of that information and you didn't even know it. So I I think everyone has the potential to be an advocate, and you get to define what that advocate looks like for you. Nice. Yeah, I was curious, in addition to this, the – the shock of the of the number and, and what we're talking about in terms of advocacy and and influencing the people who represent us to make this a big issue. Was there anything else from this report that kind of caught you off guard or that was surprising to you? I know, like for me, there was um, some some different things that were that were kind of surprising as I looked at the details. But did anything jump out at you? Well, you know, again, what, what jumped out at me was that 30%. I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I was not prepared for that. I, I think I was just shocked that I was prepared for there to be a great report. Like, and, and, you know, and the reason is, and maybe this will happen over the next couple of years, because as the DSM-5 has changed, you know, what they've been telling mm-hmm. us to is to brace ourselves for fewer kids being diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was kind of expecting, but I don't think that data is Got going it. to be available for a year or two. Yeah, so that that's what I, I think I was expecting. I, uh, one of the things that I thought I thought of you actually very quickly because I read um, I, I happened to get forwarded just like you. I got a lot of emails forwarded to me and a lot of text messages um, because I was actually at an a, uh, an ABA conference when the report got released. Um, but I got forwarded a story from CNN. And one of the things that was stated in the story was the idea that um, a Caucasian child was more likely to be diagnosed and was more prevalent in that group than African-American children or Hispanic children. And they stated it very matter-of-factly, like that these children are less likely to have autism compared to those children. And I immediately thought of the where... Um, the, the work you're doing with uh, UCLA and that press conference you had probably close to a year ago now um, with that new project you guys are supporting where we're looking at the genetics and we're looking to see, um, uh, have a greater right. number of samples of minorities. And I, I immediately thought of that. And I, and I was wondering, you know, I thought maybe are they oversimplifying this, you know, knowing that, um, you know, minority children and um, people who have less resources uh, socioeconomically are going to have uh, a lower likelihood of being diagnosed in a timely fashion. Um, like, it, are we oversimplifying think, that piece? I, I, well, I don't know if it's oversimplifying it. I think we're glossing over it, and I think yeah. we're, we're marginalizing it. I think we are not giving nearly enough attention, which is why groups like Special Needs Network is always you know, beating that drum of yeah. the issue of underserved communities and the issue of underdiagnosis. You know, we, we suffer from underdiagnosis, we suffer from late diagnosis, we suffer from delays in interventions. And yes, the CDC's report, you're right, you know, said that very matter-of-factly, uh, and that wasn't what was pulled out of the story by news medias or news outlets, I should say, uh, yeah. You know, the rise, the overall rise was, you know, the, 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 you know, the shocker for the news and, and for, you know, various reasons we understand. But of course. I, I don't think we can say over and over and over again, we cannot repeat it enough, the challenges that families, minority kids face in getting a diagnosis. You know, we, we have this big conference coming up 
uh, on April 11th and 12th, and I've been out doing a lot of media around the conference on television and radio shows like yours. Uh-huh. And my staff, we just had a meeting this morning. They said they were getting calls uh, from some Spanish-speaking families who heard mm-hmm. the broadcast or saw something in the news, and you know they, they they've got a recent they've gotten a recent diagnosis and they're not getting services. So you know, as much as we'd like to think everyone that has this diagnosis is, is fully connected and, and you know fully you know engaged in our community, there's still so many families that live mm-hmm. on the outside and so many families who are still struggling. Uh, and don't have this information. So this awareness raising activities and all, you know all of these opportunities to talk really do help impact and empower families who are not connected to mainstream resources. Yeah, because I, I, as you read the study, and you know, I feel like I'm only just starting to fully process and understand it all after getting through the shock that we've been talking about, but. It almost feels like you need to have resources to be able to get included in some of these things because, you know, I know we've both heard the stories of someone who in an underserved community where they are told, oh, don't worry about this, or no, your child doesn't qualify, and years go by before the right diagnosis or the right support is there, and I have to assume that those people are going to get excluded from this, and it, it feels like something that we just... You know, like you said, it was probably marginalized, and it's something that we need to beat the drum more of is, no, 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 we're, it, it may not be an ethnicity thing. This just may be an underreporting thing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and you're right. You know, it's not likely that any of those families, the ones we're talking about, that they don't get included in those studies. That's why the yeah. UCLA Genetics Project is so important and UCLA has actually partnered with Special Needs Network for us to do outreach to reach the families that it's going to include in its study because oftentimes big institutions like UCLA and USC and, you know, Harvard and, and some of these, you know, John Hopkins, these big institutions, they're not connected to communities of color. They don't have the vehicles through which to even reach those families. They have a very difficult time getting them involved in studies. So the data that's produced is not reflective of mm-hmm. the realities of those different demographics. So we, you're right, the UCLA study was, was huge to us, and, yeah. and, and we grabbed hold of it and said, hey, we need to talk about this, and we need to talk about the implications of this and how do we get families attached to UCLA because, you know, as great as UCLA, let's face it, it's not as if, you know, it has the, the most, uh, you know, it's not as if it has deep roots in the minority communities uh, yeah. in the LA area, even though it's 10 miles, five miles away, you know, from a lot of these communities. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's one of those things about our geography. You kind of think, well, you're 10 miles away, it must be easy for families to get there. And it's like, no, they could be 100 miles away the way oh, LA is like structured. <laughs> Yeah, it's like exactly. San Francisco faster sometimes than getting you know on the four or five and getting to UCLA. Yeah, if you so, if you're not absolutely. here, you don't always get that. Yeah. Um, well, we're at the midway point, so why don't we take a quick break, play a couple commercials, uh, and then we'll be back and talk a little bit more about uh, the CDC. And I, I definitely want to talk more about the conference you have coming up. Um, so let's take a break, and we'll be right back with Ariva. Okay. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. At AST, we recognize that every child is unique. We are proud to offer what we believe is the most cohesive approach to supporting your child's needs and goals at each stage. From ABA to speech therapy, occupational therapy, and social skills, we have the elements you need to build the plan that is just right for you. One company, one team, with one mission. To support individuals and their families to dream and achieve their full potential. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-727-8274. 
To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host or today's guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's more info at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Um, joined today on Autism Spectrum Radio by Ariva Martin, the founder and president of Special Needs Network. Um, you know, we, we talked at the beginning about the CDC report, and, you know, the, the thing you've been talking so much about, which which is probably the most critical is, is moving forward. You know, how, okay, we've got the numbers. What do we do? Um, so where, you know, being the advocate that you are and being as involved in, in the community for so many years, you know, where do you see that starting off point? Well, I think, you know, we start with recognizing that we all have to do something. And a lot of what Special Needs Network does is around legislative, you know, engagement, civic engagement. And one of the things we do every year during National Autism Awareness Month is, is host this legislative breakfast. And the breakfast is there to allow parents and activists and grassroots leaders an opportunity to interact with elected officials and to have a dialogue for them to understand what mm-hmm. our issues are so that when they go back to the Board of Supervisors or they go to City Council or they go to the state legislature, they have heard from real families who are dealing with real issues. So this year we're having a discussion on early childhood education and mm-hmm. workforce development because we know ending the disparities in diagnosis for Latino and African-American kids who have developmental disabilities starts at, you know, the earliest age. And so many kids, over 70%, will spend uh, their early years in some kind of out-of-home placement, a child care center, a daycare center, a preschool. And in the state of California currently, there is no law which requires these care providers to have any training in developmental disabilities. So we want to see those child care providers be the second set of eyes to parents. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a working mom or dad and I have to drop my kid off at six months, nine months, you know, for eight hours of child care, I want that child care to understand what developmental warning signs are and to know them because they're going to spend eight, nine, ten hours with my kid. So if my kid is in a corner lining up toys, I don't want them to think, oh, Johnny's a quiet little boy. Mm-hmm. You know, I want them to say, hmm, Johnny's not playing appropriately with those toys. Let me observe that a little more. Or if Johnny's, you know, not giving eye contact or not responding to his name, I don't want that child care provider to say, Johnny doesn't listen. I want them to understand. Maybe Johnny can't respond to his or her name. And, again, you know, understand that that might be a developmental warning sign so that they can sit down and have a conversation with mom or dad. So our child care providers can play a critical role in helping Mm. us reduce the disparities. And Special Needs Network is engaged in this campaign called Stepping Stones to cause there to be a change in the law as it currently exists, that would force, not force, but mandate, require mm-hmm. child care providers to have this critical training in developmental disabilities and warning signs. Uh, it would cause them to be more skilled professionals, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so it would only be a win-win for everyone. So now you have a workforce yeah. that has more education, more training, so they can command more dollars, compensation mm-hmm. and pay, so we want a well-paid workforce. And parents would now know that when they drop their kid off to a child care provider, you know, they, they can trust and, and be assured uh, that that provider has critical information, that if the child is engaging in any, you know, behaviors that need to be, you know, studied, that someone is there that's going to be, uh, like I said, uh, in expanding that safety net. So we're going to be having that discussion at this legislative breakfast, and we have, you know, some real heavy hitters. Uh, including mm-hmm. our newly elected mayor of Los Angeles, Mayor Garcetti, is going to be there. Uh, Kevin DeLeon, State Senator Kevin DeLeon, who is the pro tem elect, wow. he will become the new president of the state senator once uh, Steinberg turns out at the end of the year. We have Senator Holly Mitchell, which is the senator for both Culver City and Los Angeles, who's a huge child 
children's rights advocate. We mm-hmm. have uh, Senator, I'm sorry, Assembly Member Sebastian Ridley Thomas, who's newly elected in the State Assembly for Culver City and parts of South Los Angeles, who's also uh, an advocate of special needs network and special needs kids. Uh, and we have uh, some members of the Race in California, which is a statewide advocacy group that's really been working on this whole child care investment piece. So it's a great lineup of speakers and presenters, and we're expecting, you know, 500 or so concerned parents and advocates to join us to have this really critical discussion about child care and investment in early identification and a quality workforce. And that kicks off our two-day conference. You know, uh, it's the largest two-day autism, ADHD, disability rights conference in the region, really. In over two days, Friday and Saturday, we'll have over 2,000 participants will come through the conference, uh, either Friday or Saturday. Saturday is our parent day, Uh, 16 Mm -hmm. workshops, you know, from early identification to transition to jobs, housing, employment for individuals with disabilities, you know, the IEP process, the new insurance laws what it means, you know, to get regional center services. So all the information parents need. And what's so great about this conference is it's free. It's absolutely positively free. Uh, and on Saturday there's free uh, day camp provided. Uh, we don't call it child care because it's actually a mini uh, day camp that's provided for kids. Uh, there's nice. uh, breakfast and lunch and snacks and tremendous resource. We're going to have a big educational and health resource fair on Saturday with about 55 resource vendors providing all kinds of information. Uh, again, we just go all out for our families because these people, on, these, these, these amazing moms and dads who are on the front lines need so much support, and, you know, we try to provide it, and this conference is one way that we do that. Yeah. No, it, it sounds amazing, and I know you, know, the, you, you touched about the legislative breakfast and the workshops, but it, if I'm not mistaken, on Friday afternoon, there's also an advocacy seminar, um, which I thought sounded yes, really it's interesting. Yes, called the Advocate Summit. So nonprofit leaders, grassroots leaders, anyone who wants to know how to take their advocacy to that next level, we are offering a seminar from uh, 1 o'clock to 5 uh, with, again, top-notch speakers and panelists. There's going to be some breakout sessions. We're going to have someone from First 5 LA there who actually does the funding. So we're going to not just tell you how to create a policy strategy or an advocacy strategy, but how do you get it funded? Because, you know, money is important to doing this. Yeah. Uh, So we have a rep from First 5, and they have a whole campaign uh, around uh, advocacy where they fund advocacy groups. So uh, that's open and free to the public as well. Uh, and that's a, this year, too, is our third year for our bullying summit. We're going to have about 350 middle school students in an a anti-bullying summit, teaching them about how to stand for peace and to end school violence, uh, another big piece. Uh, I, I think that's, you know, hearing the, the bullying piece, to just kind of go off on a, a tangent for a minute, you know, as I was listening to you talking about the different the different needs the the early identification the adult transition you know I'm thinking about how great it is these legislators are going to hear from families you know you've got some you really do have some heavy hitters in in our local politics and in our state politics there to be part of this and and I immediately thought about community the idea of well if we have if it's now one in sixty eight and these numbers are on the rise. How important is it for us to educate the people who have businesses in the community, who are going to be at the parks and the local facilities of our community to be more aware, to be more understanding, um, in addition to some of those daycare providers? And I, I feel like you, you answered the question for me in a way. It's, you know, we have to put this, it feels like we have to put this long game plan together of the kids in middle school not being bullies today is going to lay the foundation for them to be those understanding community members. And they're going to, in some ways, educate their parents in a way as it relates to what's going on. I mean, I don't know if you see it differently or, or if that makes sense. No, I, I absolutely. The more we invest in our kids, the, the, the fewer problems we'll have as they become adults, absolutely. 
So that's why early identification is so important. That's why yeah. preschool programs are so important. And that's why working with elementary and middle school kids are so important because it definitely lays the foundation for the future. And the more we can pour into these kids at an early age, we know the better the outcomes will be. You know, another thing that struck me, and I, I ask because I, I kind of see you as this this expert on advocacy and, and, and really in terms of, as you said, you know, just like with this uh, advocacy summit and seminar, it's like we're putting these experts together to not just tell you, you know, what to do, but how to do it and how to get funded. Um, as someone who's really more of a novice to all of this in terms of the ag- advocacy um, and legislative pieces, um, I was curious, you know, we, we have all these different issues. There's all these different things that we are – uh, concerned about and there's whether it be early identification but on the flip hand you've got adults and you've got all these kids who are who are getting diagnosed and are going to need support in adulthood or um, tra- better transition plans to get into the workforce do we ever hit a place where there's too many messages within the umbrella of of autism and or special needs and that we're putting towards the, these um, legislatures or is it does it matter? Is it just the more powerful voice, regardless of smaller agenda items, the better? Well, I don't think we're going to ever do away with people who have their own individual agenda. But I think the more that we can bring, more voices we can bring to the bigger issues of mm-hmm. early identification, uh, early intervention, uh, you know, services in schools, I think there's some key points that we've all coalesced around, and those are the messages that are, you know, really getting the most attention and that we have to keep pushing on. I think some of the smaller messages, people who have their own personal agenda, you know, they're going to be there. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think it's the the larger ones that we are all working towards that we just can't get. I don't think we can talk enough about early identification. Well, we can't have enough voices on early identification because obviously it's still a big issue and we yeah. haven't resolved the issue. And until we do, I think we've got to keep, you know, all hands on deck. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. You know, I just, I, it was just one of those things of not being in this community. It's, I, I, I've always, I was just taken aback of how focused do we need to be or is it just this big front? And, and what you said makes sense. We've got our big issues and we could come together on those. Cause you're right. I mean, how many people are going to disagree about early identification? I think we're all, I think everyone would support that. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, is there anything else? I know it feels like the special needs network is always working on so many different things. And we've already talked about a, 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 so many of the big, Things Are there other things that you guys are working on to as kind of next steps with the CDC report or anything else or other things we should be aware of? Well, the, the biggest thing right now for us is just really making sure that April, you know, April is that mm-hmm. month that has been set aside as Autism Awareness Month. So we try to make sure that as many of our programs as possible uh, go forth in April and that April is that month that we get people who otherwise wouldn't be really interested in or talking about autism, you know, turn their attention to it because, you know, it's fine for you and I and those in the autism community to be talking about autism, but I want to see folks who aren't personally touched by it but who are influencers. That's who we're trying to reach. It's important that business people, as you said, and we don't just want providers. I I want, you know, the, the owner of Targets. I want the business people that run my local markets. I, I want business people to understand that at their economic future is also tied to early identification because if we can get kids identified early, we can get interventions done early. These are future employees. So if you run a company, these are people who can be your future employees. These are future taxpayers. So if you care about your tax base, if you care about the taxes you know, that come into your county or your city, These are individuals who are, you know, potential taxpayers, and I think we have to cause business people to start to think about these issues differently. We don't want you to, to, you know, take up the cause of special needs because it's, it's, you know, the moral thing to do. We want you to do it because it's it's the right thing and it's it's the economically smart thing to do. 
And, you know, again, a lot of our messaging at this breakfast will be around that. Why does early childhood education matter? It matters because these kids are our future. And if you don't invest in your future, you can pretty much determine what that future is going to look like. If you don't prepare kids to go to college, they're not going to be ready to go to college. And if they don't go to college, mm-hmm. you're not going to have anyone to hire when you need, you know, software engineers. You need, mm-hmm. you know, mechanical engineers. You need mathematicians. You need scientists. Well, you know, you can't wait till someone's 18 and say, hey, guess what, I think, you, you know, you should consider med school. No, you need a kid who's already been well-educated in math and science and already has a love for science and math and wants to pursue it. So yeah. some of this is just kind of common sense. It's a little frustrating that people don't get it. You know, you can't wait till people are grown to start, you know, investing in them, although, you know, adults need investment too, but, you know, mm-hmm. better money is spent on a three-year-old you know, building their reading skills, building their math skills so that that can be a good student from throughout their career rather than rehabilitating, you know, a student that's been poorly educated and misidentified and now they're in the juvenile justice system and now, you know, we've got to scramble to figure out how to change their lives when we had an opportunity when they were three. And it's amazing how many people don't realize that if we actually do start at three, we could change their lives. This could be someone who is contributing, going to college, getting a job. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, the, the label doesn't define where they're going to go. If we start early, we can put them on a, a completely j- different trajectory. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, Absolutely. It's that, I feel, find that to be the, the biggest thing of uh, that – I don't know whether it's autism awareness or special needs awareness. It feels like that's the message we haven't gotten to the community well enough yet is we can make a huge difference if we start early enough. Yep, and we just that's the drum we have to keep beating. That's the drum we're going to be beating on Friday throughout this two-day conference. Amazing. You know, start early. Like I said, run faster, do more. That's, that's my mantra for the year, run faster and do more. So is there space, you know, we've got, I know the conference is, is a few days away, but is there still space? If, if parents are listening and say, I didn't know about this, I want to sign up, um, is there still yes, an opportunity absolutely. for go them to? to the special, go to the Special Needs Network website at www.specialneedsnetwork.org. Uh, you'll find information about the conference and all of our other programs on that website. Uh, you know, these conferences are free. They're community events. We try to... Uh, we try not to turn anyone away. Our goal is not to be exclusive, but to be inclusive. So as many people as we can fit into our venue spaces, we just let them come because that's that's what we're here to do. We're here to serve. So, you know, this isn't about uh, numbers as much as it's about getting the information and the word out. That's awesome. Well, I mean, thank you. It's it's. Thanks for being here. Well, Thanks thank for talking you about for all of this. Thank you chance to talk about it. And uh, love the work you're doing. Appreciate what you're doing. Thanks. And, you know, keep enlightening us and, and sharing information because your voice is important to this community. I appreciate it. You do the same. All right. Thank you. Take care. Um, wow. Uh, it's, it's great to hear about these different things and, and, I feel like I got a lot out of today's show. Like I'm really excited to to hear what Ariva was talking about. The, the the part that got lost on me when I read the CDC study was the the legislature piece. The idea of we can influence, we can bring this issue up in in elections and politics, and I, I, that definitely didn't get that before today's today's show. Just that idea and. You know, I, I, again, I, I go back to my own experiences because I feel like that's the easiest way sometimes for me to fully process and relate. But I don't, I don't live in a big town. You know, I live here in Los Angeles, but the, the little community that I live in, Culver City, for anyone not from Southern California, it's, it's a small little town. There, there's 40,000 residents here, and uh, we're kind of our own little city within the greater L.A. County. And it's a it's a very diverse community, which is which is what I love about it. But um, I had city council members and, and people running for city council knocking on my door, literally going door to door, ringing my doorbell, asking me 
if I had questions, if there's answers that I, they could give me to basically make me vote for them. And, you know, this was a few weeks ago um, since, as I said, the election's right around the corner. And, and now, like, I'm all I, – I wish there was a debate. I wish they could come and ring my doorbell last minute and get my vote, and this could be the thing I bring up. Um, but Ariva's advice is, is right on. It's posting on social media. It's, it's calling the offices – whether it be here in, in the local city council or even as we get going to state elections. Because um, it really does make a difference. And it, it's, it seems amazing that, you know, just within the last few years, how much easier it is to do these things with social media and with um, the Internet and, and just how easy it is. It's all at our fingertips on our phones now. But, uh but I, I, I didn't think about that as it relates to the CD study, um, how we can really move forward and what those next steps should be. So, so I think that that's just really great advice. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we did the show today. Um, well, that's it. We're going to wrap this one up. Um, if you're here in Southern California, I, I definitely recommend checking out Ariva's conference. It really will be fantastic. It's April 11th and 12th, as she said. Um, I've been to some of their events, and they're phenomenal. Um, if not, and you're just interested, I know that Special Needs Network does a great job of, of spreading the word of what they're doing locally and, and educating people of how they can maybe apply that to their local community or their state. So if you're elsewhere in the country, don't feel like you're excluded from this. Reach out to them. They're, they're a great resource, and, and they're, they've really been uh, just great to our communities last, uh, you know, probably <laughs> – probably a decade, but, uh, but for me personally, a few years since I've started uh, interacting with them and working with them. Um, if you've got questions, more info at autismtherapies.com. Love to hear from you guys. Uh, love to talk more about, about what's going on, especially if you have comments about the CDC study. Um, I know we're going to put some more resources up, and, and I'm hoping to talk to a few more people and get a few different other perspectives on this and what this means, um, because... Uh, there's a few different ways to look at this. There, there's definitely a few different ways to look at this um, beyond just the advocacy part that we've talked about. There's, there's a whole research part, and uh, the DSM-5 that Ariva was referring to, that, that could change things a lot too. Um, so it's just good for us to understand it all. Well, hope you guys have a fabulous week. Hope everyone um, is enjoying and getting out there to support Autism Awareness Month. And, uh, and hitting the different events that are going on this month because it's a great opportunity just to meet new people, find new resources, and actually have a good time because most of them are actually pretty fun and, and have a lot of uh, really cool things for the kids. Uh, I will talk to all of you guys next time. Take care. We, we hope you have enjoyed today's episode of Autism Spectrum Radio. For additional information and resources about autism, visit www.autismtherapies.com. Please join us each week for a new episode or visit our archives to listen to and download previous shows.